Here's what we have to clarify right out of the gate, what the Holy Spirit is. 1 Corinthians 4 verse 20 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. That word's dunamis or dynamite that we translate in the English language. Luke 1 verse 35, when the angel appears to Mary and says, you're going to become pregnant by the Holy Spirit, the Greek word that is used is dunamis, dynamite. It's the same word. So when we say for the kingdom of heaven, it's not a matter of talk, but of, you could easily translate, and some do, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the power of God in the form of a person. The Holy Spirit, I'm going to say it again, and we're going to add one more piece to it. This is really important to understand. The Holy Spirit is the power of God in the form of a person, the third person of the Trinity. What does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit is not speaking in tongues. The Holy Spirit is not healing. The Holy Spirit is not insight. The Holy Spirit is not prophecy. The Holy Spirit is not the miraculous. It's not conviction. It's not an insight to Scripture. Those are out pourings of the Holy Spirit. Those are attributes of the Holy Spirit. But if we don't wrap our minds around this fact that the Holy Spirit is the power of God in the form of a person, we can worship the parts and minimize the whole. So that, I'll give you an example. Do we, do we love this book? Do we love this book? Do we love this book more than the person of this book? No, why? Because this book points to a person. But when, when we do love this book, and listen, I am a, Scripture is in air and it's God-breathed and everything else, so don't start to question my theology. What I'm saying is this, when we begin to love this book and worship this book more than the person this book points us to, here's what happens. We study this book, we commentate this book, we deconstruct this book, we preach this book, we tell other people the passages in this book, we memorize this book, but if we don't take it to doing the things that the person of this book did. We are all talking no power. Why are there so many people that know this book but don't do anything that Jesus did? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a, a theologian from the UK, he said, if we have the same spirit that Jesus had, why don't we do the same things that Jesus did? So what, what is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is the power of God in the form of a person. And now catch this. The dove, that's the metaphor that we're talking about today. The dove makes the power personal. Follow me. So the Holy Spirit is the power of God in the form of a person that has become personal. It's become personal to you. It's become personal to me. When we're singing and we're declaring, Holy Spirit, come rest on us, we are inviting the power of God in the form of a person, the third person of the Trinity, to come into us and make its home and be personal inside of us. When I was, uh, a long, long time ago, a buddy of mine, we took his son and one of his son's friends who didn't have the opportunity ever, we took them dove hunting. I don't, they, they, were, they were probably, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, something like that. 
And so we, we loaded up these kids. We went to his deer lease, and there was this water in this field next by. And we set down those little, those little stands, you know. And, and the son's friend, he'd never been dove hunting before. He was real, real excited about it. He borrowed his grandpa's 10-gauge single-shot shotgun. This thing was a hammer. No, it, it looked like a cannon when he was carrying it. This kid wasn't 50 pounds soaking wet, right? So we get there, and we sit down, and he's sitting on his, he's got this massive 10-gauge shotgun, and we're all sitting on these stools. And you ever taking kids dove hunting? What do they do every time? There's a dove! Oh, I think there's a dove! Oh, dove there, dove there. Everything's a dove, right? They see doves magically appear everywhere. And so these kids are calling out doves everywhere. And we're like, no, no, don't shoot that. You know, that's a kill deer. It's a metal lark. Don't, don't get me in trouble, you know. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, we're just kind of sitting there. And we hear this boom. And I look, it scared me half to death. I jumped. I looked over. He was gone. He wasn't sitting on a stool. He was laying flat on his back. The shotgun was over the top of his head, and he was literally just sitting there like dazed. And I looked down, and I said, are you okay? And the first thing he said to me was, did I get him? I said, get what? What do you think you're going to He's like, did I kill the dove? Like, brother, wasn't a dove in sight, right? And thank God it's a single shot. You could have killed us all, right? These kids are crazy. So we spent the rest of the day seeing zero doves. No, seeing hundreds of doves that weren't doves. Firing shotguns like crazy. Didn't kill a single thing. Loaded the kids up. Took them back. We went to his house to drop him off. His mom came out in the driveway. And she said, how was it? And he said, it wasn't very fun. I was like, dang, right? Almost killed me. One, two, uh, you fired your gun a hundred times, right? Like, well, it wasn't fun. And he said, it wasn't fun because we couldn't get the doves. It wasn't fun because we couldn't get them. We saw them everywhere. We shot at everything. But it wasn't fun because we couldn't get them. When we talk about the dove as the metaphor of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to take you all throughout. But here's where I want us to start. It is the symbol of power that we can't get to. Let's start in Genesis 1, 1 through 2. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. First two verses of the Bible. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Track with me. I promise we'll bring this full circle. 400 years after that, the Jews go into captivity. My goodness, we've hammered this as a church. Welcome to Babylon, uh, burnt stones and everything in between, right? So they're in captivity. They're in Babylon that is under Persian rule. And one of the ways of oppression that foreign leaders would do to people that they captured was they would change their language and they would ban the speaking of their language. It was religious oppression. So they told the Jewish boys, you can no longer speak Hebrew, you can can only speak Aramaic. And in Aramaic, they weren't able to read the Hebrew Bible. They weren't able to speak about God because it didn't translate into their language. So it was a way of oppressing them. It was a way of controlling them, right? So in the midst of this, Jewish rabbis translated the Hebrew Bible into Aramaic. Now, remember, they were in captivity for 70 years. So you have kids that were born in captivity, they were raised in captivity, and the only language that they spoke was Aramaic. It was the only publicly allowed language. So they took the Hebrew Bible, they translated it into Aramaic. It's what we call the Targum today. It's the, it's the Aramaic translation of the Hebrew Bible. Here are the first two verses of the Targum. Genesis 1, 1 through 2. 
It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. No, now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters like a dove. No doubt, to a Jewish audience, when you hear of the dove descending upon Jesus at his baptism, the first place that you go to in your mind is creation. And the power of God, the spirit of God hovering over creation like a dove. And now that spirit has come down to us like a dove and descended upon Jesus. Let's keep going. Let's jump into uh, after the flood. So after the flood happens, Noah sends out a dove and the dove comes back. He sends out a dove, the dove comes back. He sends it out a third time and here's what happens, Genesis 8, 11 through 12. When the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. Verse 12, he waited seven more days and sent the dove out again, but this time it did not return from him. In Jewish history, the symbol of the dove from this moment on became a symbol of hope and new life for the Jewish nation. They saw it as the Spirit of God that was hovering over creation, then went out from them and found out that there was hope and new life for them and didn't return, paving the way for them to have a new earth and a new hope and a new future. Track with me now, okay? So now let's move to the third part. The dove was seen as the only offering of purity. Leviticus 12, verse 6. When the days of her purification for a son or daughter over. She is to bring to the priest at the entrance to the tent of meeting a year-old lamb for a burnt offering and a young pigeon or a dove for a sin offering. Luke 2, 21 through 24. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the birth of Jesus, the name given him by the angel before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering. As required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child, so his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or a young pigeon. Okay, now let's go to where we started. David so brilliantly read Luke 3, 21 through 23. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Let's play a fun little game. Let's be first century Jewish boys. Girls too, right? I'll just picture you all with beards. Whatever. We'll figure it out, right? Um, so here, we're all Jews, right? We're all first, second, third century Jews at this point, And we are all uh, hearing about someone comes and they tell us the story of Jesus' baptism. Here he comes. Are you ready? Hey, guys, I have a story to tell you. Okay, listen, Jesus came and he was arguing with John and John was baptizing people and Jesus told John, you need to baptize me too. And John said, what are you, crazy? 
right? And so Jesus said, no, it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. Baptize me now. So John got in the Jordan River, and Jesus got in it too. And guess what happened? John placed his hand on Jesus' head. He baptized him in the water. And as Jesus was coming out of the water, the Spirit of God in bodily form like a dove came out of the sky and landed on Jesus. Thank you. Yeah, what? Are you blown away? Listen. Listen to me. We have to understand this. The dove descending on Jesus at baptism would have been like a UFO sighting to us today that you're telling your friends about. You're like, hey, I saw something in the sky. Hey, I saw something go out of the sky and through the sky again. Hey, I've been hearing about this thing. Whoa, dude, it's coming back. Not only is it coming back, but it's landed in my yard. It's here. I gave way too much effort for two rows to be excited about that. Do you understand what the dove means? The dove means God's power in the form of a person became personal that it came to meet you and it came to meet me that's the whole story of the dove he is here he is with you we're asking him to rest on us descend on us like a dove think about this to a first century jewish audience they would have seen the dove in creation they would have they would have seen it in their minds and in their hearts because it's what they read in scripture they would have known the story of noah and the dove going out and their grandparents telling them oh you see that beautiful dove over there man i remember when the earth was flooded and everything was void and all of a sudden a dove went out and we knew when that dove didn't come back there was hope and there was life and there was a future for us they know hey remember Remember when we were under Levitical law and we have to make an offering for our impurity and the purest offering we can make is a dove. And dude, did you know that dove representing the spirit of God came, descended and landed on Jesus? Number one, the dove represents God's power becoming personal have to wrap our minds around this though it is greater bigger more than we could ever imagine to every tribe and every tongue yet it is the personal power of God in you and in me it came and it met us it's resting on us it is in us Romans 8 verse 11 I love what Paul says the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. We have his power. You, we have his power. The kingdom of God is not of talk, but it is of power. We don't need more well-crafted sermons. We don't need more books. We don't need more conversations. We need power. It's power for you. One of the phrases that drives me nuts, and I get it, and I don't disagree with it, but I'm going to add something to it. This phrase, well, nobody's above sin. Nobody's above sin. I agree with you. Wholeheartedly agree with you. But let me add to that, nobody is above sin, but everybody can have power over their sin. 
you can have power over your sin. If not, our God's defeated. If not, the Spirit is not what the Spirit is. Because what's at war within me? The Spirit and the flesh. So, yes, nobody is above sin. Everyone can have power over their sin. And Paul says the same Spirit that gave life to the mortal bones of Christ is living in us. It's right here within us. Luke, Luke wrote a sequel, another book of the Bible. Anybody know what it is? Say it again. Acts, gold star for you. You're exactly right. Luke wrote the book of Acts. Watch what happens in the book of Acts. Acts 1, this is the start of the book of Acts. Acts 1, 1 through 5. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time. And he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Verse 4. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. What is the gift that he promised. As I told you before, verse 5, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then what happens? Acts 2, Pentecost, Holy Spirit falls on the people. The church explodes and launches. Then the, throughout the entire book of Acts, what happens? It is God's people doing the things that Jesus did, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's it. That's what it is. And it continues on. And it keeps going. There is no end. It doesn't stop. It just keeps going to us. We're getting a little ahead. Uh, week four, we'll talk about fire and fire descending. But Eugene Peterson says something beautifully. He says, the same way the Spirit descended on Jesus and gave us salvation is the same way the Spirit descended on God's people and gave us the church. We are a people empowered by the Holy Spirit. We're not just this. We are power. And I'm going to tell you in a moment what that power is. But first, we need to know the power has become personal. What does that mean to me? And if you ever used these, um, these cooking services, I don't even know what they're called. I think it's like HelloFresh where they send you ingredients, right? It's like cooking for rich people. Like, I'll just pay way more to get the ingredients sent to me already measured, and then I'll dump them all in and act like I made a meal, right? Um, we, we had some coupons for it, so we did it, and no, I didn't continue it. Listen, I'm straight out of the trailer, cuz. I know how to park my own car and measure my own ingredients and go to the daggum grocery store. Now, if you're a HelloFresh fan, I, God bless you, too. Meals were great. They were awesome, right? $25 chicken breast and sweet potatoes, good on you. Um, but we had one of these, right? And we took this thing, and it showed up, and it was this box, and inside of it was everything that we needed to make the meal. And we didn't have to do much. We just had to take what we had already been given and put it to use to feed ourselves. Do you see where I'm headed with this? The Holy Spirit has given you everything that you need. Why, when we declare these songs and we see, you're all I want. It's all that we need. You have the power and you have everything that you need. Why? Because the power 
became personal. The power became personal and the power met. You have everything that you need to heal your marriage. You have everything that you need to overcome your addiction. You have everything that you need to set yourself free from depression. You have everything that you need to calm your anxieties, to rid yourself of fears. You have everything that you need because the power of God has become personal. Let's keep diving in. Number two. So the power has become personal. Now what do we need? Here's what the dove represents. God's power finds a home. God's power finds a place to dwell. God's power finds a place to go. There's a Hebrew word, um, navah. It's a beautiful word. It means literally to bring home and make beautiful. That's the new baby, baby name for the year, right? How many people are now going to name their daughter navah? Right? Navah means to bring home and make beautiful. Beautiful. When the children of Israel are fleeing slavery in Egypt, right? And Moses comes and he parts the Red Sea and all of them get free and they're on the other side of the sea. Once they're on the other side of the sea, Moses comes and he, he sings this song unto the Lord. Listen to it. It's, it's Exodus 15, 1 through 2. He says, then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. He has hurled both horse and rider into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. This is my God and I will praise him or I will navah him. Moses is literally saying, this is my God and I will make him a home and he will make me beautiful. Matthew 3 verse 16. This is Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism. He uses two words. He says, after his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. Those two Greek words mean to come down and welcome in. They are the cheap version translated navah in Hebrew. What is he saying? He is saying that the Holy Spirit came down and made a home in Jesus to make him beautiful. What is the goal of my life? It's to become a home where the Holy Spirit can come and can make me beautiful. I, I don't know about you, my, my home is, it's kind of like a nudist colony. It is, it's just crazy. Like my daughter is always running around, she's crazy, and she's like most comfortable running around in her underwear. I don't, I don't know why. I don't get it. The second we get home, she's in her underwear and she's partying, right? My son Canaan, he changes all the time. He literally changes clothes all the time. He gets stuff on him, so he's usually either shirtless or pantless or God forbid both, you know, right? But he's, he's right. My, my son Zadok, his only favorite outfit is a diaper. He is just, he's one of those kids that loves to just walk around in his diaper. Anna is nursing, so... <laughs> Nursing moms, if you know, you know, right? It's just easier. Uh, too far, right? But it, it, here's the thing. It's our home. And you know what's okay in our home? To be completely yourself. It's okay in our home. If you've got to run through in your underwear to grab a towel. You gotta show. It's okay. Why? Because 
It is our home. And what is, what is in our home is the ability to be completely who you are. When you're in our home, you don't have to ask to get leftovers. You don't have to ask to go to the pantry to get something to eat. You don't have to ask whether or not you keep your shoes on. You don't have to ask whether or not you do. Why? Because it's our home and we inhabit our home. What is the Spirit looking for in us? A home to come and dwell and make beautiful. Why does, why does Paul say in Ephesians 4.30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption? He is saying, don't become a place he cannot dwell and do what he does. What is the goal of our life? I want to be a home, a well-crafted home with the doors wide open for the Holy Spirit to come live in me and help me to do the things and live the way that Jesus lived. That is what we are. We are the home for the Holy Spirit. It's what we want to be. We want to be His dwelling place. It's why we do daily presence. Why do we do daily presence? Why do we worship? Because Jesus said you'll worship the Lord only and you'll only serve your God. Jesus was a worshiper. Why do we read scripture? Because when Jesus fought the devil and won, he used scripture over and over and over. Why do we pray? Because prayer creates intimacy with God so that we can hear God and we can become this place where the Holy Spirit can dwell. If you're saying to yourself, I want more of the Spirit's power, become a better home. Become a better place where he can dwell, where he can live, where he can be fully and completely himself. Then we finish here. What does the dove symbolize? God who empowers me to do what Jesus did. Let me tell you something. The purpose of the Holy Spirit primarily is to empower you to do and live the way Jesus lived. I don't mean to break your heart, and I've prayed the same prayers, so I'm not picking on you, I'm picking on me, but the Holy Spirit does not exist to empower you to hit a home run in the bottom of the ninth when the bases are loaded and you're down three. Like, the Holy Spirit does not exist to help you hit the game-winning, buzzer-beating shot. The Holy Spirit does not exist to empower you in a game show. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit, activate. Holy Spirit doesn't care. Holy Spirit doesn't care. Right? The purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower me to do and live the way Jesus lived. Think about this for a second. Jesus walked the planet 30 years before his baptism. He didn't utter a word of teaching. He didn't work a miracle or call a single disciple. 30 years before his baptism, Luke said he was 30 years old when he started his ministry. Didn't utter a word of teaching, didn't work a single miracle, didn't call a single disciple. After his baptism, what happened? All he did was teach, do miracles, and call disciples. The single event that changed the course of Jesus' ministry was the descent of the dove in the form of the Holy Spirit, the bodily form of the Holy Spirit, descending like a dove and landing on top of him. Let's walk through the book of Luke really quick. Luke 3, we know he's baptized. Luke 4, verse 1, here's what happens. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit 
into the wilderness. Luke 4, verse 14. This is after the temptation. Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly throughout the whole region. Luke 4, verse 18. Here it is. This is what the Holy Spirit empowered him to do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, and that the oppressed will be set free. The Spirit is what empowered Jesus to do what Jesus did. We get confused sometimes because uh, we begin to think that the purpose of the miraculous in the life of Jesus was to prove that Jesus was who he was. It was to prove his identity. There's one problem with that. Lots of people did miracles. Paul did miracles. Peter did miracles. John did miracles. Early church history, this wasn't even a question. The purpose of the miraculous in the life of Jesus was not to prove who he was. It was to prove that the power of the Spirit was on him. That's the purpose of the Spirit. That's the purpose of the miraculous. It wasn't so that Jesus could say, see, told you, I am he. No, it usually says, don't tell anybody about this. The purpose of the miraculous was to show that the Spirit that they saw at a distance had come and become personal and landed on him and empowered him to do the things that he did for his lifetime. So if the same Spirit that fell on Jesus and that was in Jesus that fell on the church in Acts chapter 2 is living and breathing in me, then what should I be doing? What should the Spirit of God in me be empowering me to do? The same things Jesus did. The same life that Jesus lived from front to back. In fact, John 16 verse 7. Listen to this. He says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. This is Jesus. It is to your advantage that I go away. Jesus is saying, when I'm gone, it's a really good thing for you. For if I do not go away, the helper, Greek translation for the Holy Spirit, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. This is the purpose of the Holy Spirit. John 14, verse 12. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me and will do the works that I have been doing. And they will be, do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. How are they going to do even? So he's saying the Spirit will help you do even greater things than I do. We're not to just do the things that Jesus did. We're to do even greater than what Jesus did. Why? Because the Spirit of God has become personal. And it is on us and in us and waiting for us to become the home that he can pour out of and work in and do the things that Jesus did. And live the way that Jesus lived. During COVID, our, uh, our gym shut down, and it never reopened, so we did a garage gym, and it, it was one of the greatest things we've ever done. I'll never go back to a gym. My, I ain't sharing sweat with you or nobody else, right? It's just me and my family and our nudist colony or whatever. No, you know, but, uh, we, we started this garage gym, and so my kids, they love to go out there and mess around, and one of the new things that we got is a landmine. And so he had this landmine sitting there, and came and saw it, and he got really excited about it. He went up to it, and he, he tried to lift it up, and he couldn't. And then he, he tried again. He started getting real discouraged. He was like, just weak. And I said, but try it again. Try it again. And I, I leaned down next to it. I grabbed a hold of it. He didn't know I had a hold of it. And he comes up. He grits his teeth. And he gives it a good pull. And I lifted it up with him. And he was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, do it again. 
He drops it down, and he lifts it up again. He's getting his grit teeth around. He does it a third time. I said, go over your head. He goes, wham, throws it up over his head. And, of course, I've got a hold. And he's like, he's walking around the garage like Popeye. He's just walking around like, you seen me, Daddy. In three minutes, I tripled my strength, right? I'm the man now, Dad. And so it was, it was really cool because I was, you know, it's, it's illustrating. I'm trying to illustrate the Holy Spirit. He comes and he helps us do what we couldn't do on our own when he inhibits us. But then here's what happened. About five minutes later, I hear this massive crash, this massive crash. And I look over, and he had actually himself ripped the landmine up. He had gotten it above his head, but he couldn't control it. So he fell over with it, and it fell into our assault bike, and it knocked that over, and it rammed into the wall, and it created this huge crash and he was terrified nearly got crushed thank god he was okay and i was just thinking to myself what an illustration when we're a home where the holy spirit can dwell we have a power within us that is greater than us that empowers us to do the things that jesus did but when we're not that home and when he is not and when we have grieved him over and over and over all of a sudden we're trying to do things that we can't do on our own john wimber who found himself at the helm of a revival in Southern California in the 80s, a real move of the Holy Spirit. He said this, and I, I want to leave us with this. He said, we prayed for thousands to get healed, and thousands died. Then it happened. I love this. We finally got one. Can't you picture them? Praying for thousands to get healed, thousands are dying, and then finally somebody gets healed. And they're like, yes, here it is, right? Someone got healed, he said. Then we prayed for thousands more, declaring that testimony over them. And thousands more died. Then it broke. And we got another and another until a wave of the Holy Spirit's power touched thousands of people share that with you to say this. When we talk about power, and we talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, and how it became personal, and I become this home for the Spirit to dwell in, and then all of a sudden, I can do the things that Jesus did, and then you leave here, and you go on Monday, and on Monday, you face the same temptation, and on Tuesday, you face the same temptation, and on Wednesday, you're back to fighting with your spouse again, and it's hard, and it's difficult. I'm telling you, it's, it, it doesn't always just happen like that. The power of the Holy Spirit doesn't promise you the miraculous in the moment that you ask for it. But what is promised is this, that the power becomes personal. And if you will continue to work to become the home that that Holy Spirit can dwell in, that He can come into, and He can move in, and you begin to do the things that Jesus did, all of a sudden you will experience a wave of the power of the Holy Spirit where you will look out and you will be nothing but a small town poor kid from Kansas who had no hope of being in ministry and all of a sudden say, how am I pastoring a church. It's just the power of the Holy Spirit. But it's over years and years of just saying, I just want to be a home where you can dwell. I want to be a place where you can come and be fully yourself. Be a hundred percent who you are, a living sacrifice of worship.